Welcome, my beloved royal court, to Fix Your Crown, the podcast where we sprinkle a little sass and a whole lot of wisdom to help you reign supreme in life, work, and love. Are you ready for it? Welcome, welcome. The doors to the kingdom are now open. I am your host, King Heavy, the leader that you did not ask for but probably need. So I asked you guys last week on Instagram what you would like the kingdom to delve into collectively. And a number of you asked about female leadership in male-dominated industries. And I am nothing if not a crowd pleaser. And so today we're going to discuss how you can not only exist in male-dominated industries, but how you can thrive in them. So whether you already work in one or you aspire to work in one, or even if you just need a fucking pep talk about showing up and taking up space, this is going to be for you. So from a very young age, I was made aware of the phrase work twice as hard to get half as much. Because you see, growing up, I just always found myself in spaces that are typically associated with men, right? Or that are usually reserved for men. Um, When I was a child, I was doing uh, martial arts as a sport. In high school, I specialized in physics and math. And then in university, my primary degree was computer science. I then proceeded to work in tech industries. All places that, quite frankly, just felt like boys club if you get what I mean, they just felt like they weren't designed for me and I was just joining a pre-established boy club. Um, And so I often found myself to either be the only woman in the room or one of the few women in the room. And um, throughout these years, I had to learn to not only exist in such places, but truly thrive in them. In the beginning of my career, I worked as a, a developer, a junior developer, and I worked in environments that sometimes really made me question if I even belonged. Um, See, Imposter syndrome is a bitch. (laughs) And for those of you who don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's that sneaky little voice in your head um, that makes you believe that you're not good enough. It's that voice that makes you doubt your own abilities, but even more so, it makes you feel as though you're not as competent as other people perceive you to be. You can feel like you're a bit of a fraud and that everyone is going to find out, like it's only a matter of time until the jigs is up and um, everyone's gonna know that you've just been pretending to be competent. So that feeling um, coupled with being in rooms that didn't seem to have a seat for me at the table often made me question if I even deserved said seat at said table. And it's so hard to walk in a room that is filled with men and not feel, one, intimidated, obviously, and two, feel a bit like an outsider. And it's so hard to be the only one in any space, really, but particularly in those spaces. But what is very important to remember and what I have come to learn throughout my career and my experience is a simple truth. If you were not ready, you simply would not have the opportunity. You have earned your seat at the table because God knows it was not handed to you. And so if you do have that opportunity, it's because you have earned that seat It is already yours and confidence is going to be your best ally here. As it was mine and as I had to learn, everything is going to come through confidence because if you look around, almost without a fail, there is always a mediocre white man doing exactly what you aspire to do. So if he can do it, you sure as hell can do it. And when you're in doubt, 
Remember what I'm going to say. When in doubt, carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man. Here's a bit of an anecdotal story. When I was a junior at my very first job, I used to pester my boss about letting me listen in on clients' calls. See, I knew that I wanted to step into a management and leadership position eventually, and I knew that in order to get there, I needed a seat at the table. A seat that, quite frankly, didn't even exist, right? And so I would ask him to let me shadow him and sit in calls with him so I can have first-hand experience and I can get in into the right rooms that I needed to be in. And at first he said no, and then he said no, Again and again and again until he finally said yes. He said yes because I was so determined, yes, and I just wouldn't let it go. But he also said yes because I went and created a bit of a plan and I played it back to him. See, I presented to him the benefits of me being in that room that weren't focused on me. No one really cares about what the benefit to you is they care about what the benefit to them is and so that's exactly what I focused on and so at that point of my career like I said I was a junior developer and I was working on these clients um, projects that he was talking to and so I told him that I wanted to better understand the client I wanted to better understand their needs um, I wanted first-hand experience into their problem areas and their pain points and where the pro- the problems came from and so I can start creating better suited solutions for them I told him um, that I wanted some context and better understanding of where these problem spaces stem from and I also told him that I would be a bit of a PA for him and I would take the notes and the minutes on his behalf so that would reduce his workload and I also would shoulder the responsibility of communicating any decision made in that call back to the team and so that's another thing taken off his plate so I made the case about my added value just not to me but to him and to the business in general and because I did that he it worked and he agreed and I got the seat that I wanted. And so by finally having that seat in the table, I had a foot in the door and that foot in the door is all I needed to throw the whole door open, right? Because shortly after that, I was allowed to ask questions in those meetings. And then shortly after that, I was allowed to start explaining some of the solutions to the clients directly. And then I was allowed to give some projects update and then details about what we were working on. And I used the time I was granted to start developing a relationship with those clients. And those clients started to love me and wanted to deal with me more and more and more. See, I was a tech girl, yes, but I had soft skills and I had good communication and the desire to get shit done because I was new and I had so much passion for it I was attentive and involved and I had a fire to do more and to do better and that's how I ended up going from an entry job level really to a leadership position three months after I started my career and that as you can imagine is a steep climb into one's career path because I knew that in order to get where I needed to be, I needed access to the people who had the ability to influence my career outcomes. One way I could have done that is I could have sat and waited for the opportunity to land on my lap or for someone to look around and recognize how good of a job I was doing and pay attention to how much value I was bringing to the company. But honestly, I just knew that the odds were not in my favor. 
I, at the end of the day, I was a North African young woman in a predominantly white, white men-dominated industry. The odds were simply not in my favor. And sometimes when there is no room for you at the table, all you have to do is bring your own fucking chair and then squeeze in. But, and here's the, here's the catch. In order to do that, in order to take those risks, you have to be brave enough and be okay with being told no. Because you have to be aware that that's a possibility and it shouldn't stop you. You need to be able to hear the word no and keep trying. This is what allowed me to set myself apart from most people, honestly, throughout my career. Because for me, no is just feedback, right? No is a necessary stepping stone. No is redirection. Once you get over your fear of rejection and embarrassment of like hearing the word no, no is literally just redirection because what are you two options from there? Either you realize, hey, this might not be for me altogether. Like this might just not be the path for me. Or you have to focus on answering the question, how do I turn this no into a yes? That's no is the first step into the map into getting where you need to be. And there is power in checking your ego at the door before you enter any space where you need to, to perform and decide that not trying is way scarier than any no you could hear. That not trying far scares you over rejection, for example. Right? So what could arguably be worse than being told no is for yourself to deny yourself the opportunity to be told yes. If you don't ask, you simply never know, right? Like you do not know if you do not ask. It's really as simple as that. And what I found helpful is to ask myself these two things, right? What's the worst that can happen? Right? What is the worst that can happen if you ask? Your anxiety often makes it feel like the, the negative outcome is going to be the death of you. When in reality, it's, it's just a desire to avoid negative feelings. What is the worst that can happen? Nothing. You'll be exactly where you started. If you ask and you're told no, you're exactly where you were before you asked. It's really a win-win solution. And second question I would ask myself is, would you forgive yourself if you then realized much later that if you asked, the answer would have been yes? Would you be okay to live with that? I think at the end of the day, you have to remember that if you don't ask, the answer is always no, right? It's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, essentially. But if you ask, it's 50-50. And so essentially by asking, the odds go from 0% to 50%. That's a steep change in, in, in odds. These are chances I want to take. If you struggle, because I know, I know I've had this conversation with people before and I always hear it's not as easy as, as it sounds because people struggle with asking, with speaking up. So if you, do, if you do struggle with speaking up, this is what I would recommend. Practice. Practice makes progress, baby. Practice makes progress. Uh, practice in low stakes environments. Ask the barista for a free cookie with your coffee. <laughs> Ask the hotel staff if they have any complimentary um, upgrades. Ask uh, the gate of um, your flight if you could get a window seat. Just ask in environments where the stakes are low. Like if, if you don't get it, it's not, you're not going to take it personally. Like your life is not going to feel like it's ending. Ask the sales assistant when you're shopping if they can hold it for you for an hour, even if you don't need them to hold it for you for an hour. Like ask in environments where the consequences are minimal. And the more you ask, the more you make a habit out of it. The more you make a ha habit out of it, the more natural it comes to you. 
And the more natural it comes to you, the less you're married to the outcome. Because this is, this is what you need to get to. You need to get comfortable with asking without being coupled to the outcome. The outcome doesn't matter. It's not up to you. You only control your controllables. What you can control is asking. Everything after that, it doesn't matter. The odds could be in your favor or could not be in your favor. It's not the point. Um, when I became a manager and I stepped into a leadership position, I realized that despite what I was told, leadership qualities had nothing to do with gender. They were not gender specific whatsoever. Being decisive, a risk taker, a brave person had nothing to do with being a man. I actually started to notice that some men would actually confuse rudeness with decisiveness and disrespect with assertiveness. Meanwhile, I was also noticing that my assertiveness was sometimes seen and called out as bossiness. He's a leader, but I am bossy, right? The more I mimicked how men led and I mimicked lead men's leadership styles, the more I was told I was too direct, cold, I was bossy, I was borderline mean. When it's not true, it was... I didn't have to internalize that because it wasn't true. What, what was true is I was swimming against a ripple of bias that existed well before me and quite frankly will exist well after me because unfortunately we have made progress, but progress is very slow. And I am reminded of that at least once a day. And I wish I could tell you that there is some magic formula that I can give you to switch public perception when you're a woman in leadership position in a male-dominated industry. But the reality is just you're just going to have to embrace it. I had to drop my need to be liked by everyone and focus on being, one, competent, and two, being respected. And I also had to learn to hold people accountable, men specifically. I had to hold them accountable for any sexist remarks that were made in my presence, any sexist beliefs that were shown in any of their behaviors. I had to make sure that if basic respect was not willingly provided to me and given to me as for the rest of the men in the room, that I fucking demanded it. I am the queen, nay, the king of never letting anything slide. Trust that if a man made a sexist joke at work, for example, I'm asking you to explain the punchline. What's so funny? Explain it to me. Nothing makes a sexist, dumb um, joke not land as having to explain the punchline because it's not funny at the end of the day. And the more you get them to explain it, the less it makes sense and the more obvious it becomes that this was not funny. I also remember actually a while back, I went viral on TikTok. Um, there was this prompt and it was like, what is your feminist power move? And my feminist power move is that if I'm ever in a meeting with a man who is either like losing his temper, raising his voice or being just like downright disrespectful, I will suspend the meeting like he's being put on timeout. I'll say something along the lines of, hey, it looks like you're having some big feelings and you're too emotional for this conversation to be productive, to be honest. How about we all just take five minutes to give you a chance to get a hold of your emotions? <laughs> Cold shower. It works like a fucking charm. Because for some reason, terrible, sexist and disrespectful men seem to forget that anger is also an emotion. You are being emotional, right? 
And if you're having a meltdown in a professional setting, it is not my job to sit through it with you. This is not what I'm here, what I'm here for. And this is not what I was hired for. I'm not a handler. And it's the same men who have no issues throwing the word emotional around in an attempt to discredit women everywhere. Those are the same men that are unable to stay cool, calm and collected. <laughs> in my career, I am yet to meet a woman who's lost her temper in a meeting. We're not getting her way. Men, though? Oh, so many. <laughs> so who's really emotional here, right? I worked very, very hard to make sure that my added value exceeded the bias that men had towards me. See, I became obsessed with being undeniably good at my job. That's where I decided to pour my energy, right? In a way, I wanted to become so undeniably good that they had no choice. I left no choice but to be acknowledged for it. But I also had to learn how to find my own leadership style over the years. See, not to like toot my horn or anything, but I am funny and personable and I am empathetic and kind and I care about people deeply. And I realized I didn't have to let go of any of that to be a good leader. As a matter of fact, it actually made me a much better leader because you can be assertive and you can be decisive and you can be strong-willed without being a pain to be around. And finding that balance between you know, both sides of my personalities helps me actually connect with my team on a level that is much deeper than surface level. And it also helped me understand what motivates them. It helped me get to know them as human beings first and foremost, which then allowed me to know how to help them thrive in their careers and get the best out of them. You don't have to lose your softness or empathy to be a leader. If anything, I think empathy is not the weakness that some people try to paint it to be, especially in workplaces. It's a strength. Nothing beats being able to relate to people and not just listen to them, like really hear them when they're talking to you. And I was told um, that in order to be an effective leader, I had to lead like a man. And though undeniably some, some men are great leaders, I found that my ability to lead effectively only flourished when I stopped trying to lead like a man. Instead, I became utterly obsessed with leading like a woman, smart enough to know how to marry my hard skills and my soft skills. A good, well-rounded leader that people did not fear, that people trusted and respected. So if you're in the same boat, lead like a woman. It's so much more powerful. All right. The last point I want to make before I move on to some juicy listener questions today um, is it's very, very important to find a support system. Um, as for everything in life, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with people and go with the right people. You have to find allies and you have to find mentors at work. You have to be willing to ask questions and listen. You have to understand that you can never know too much. Stay curious, be open to learning from different perspectives, understand that you do not have all the answers, understand that you might be wrong and someone can always teach you something. You can always learn something from someone. You just have to be willing to listen. But make sure that you ask for feedback. And when you get said feedback, make sure that you do not lead with your ego. Remember what we said? Check your ego at the door before entering the room. Because that feedback is invaluable, like analyze it, understand it, and more importantly, act on it. It's really invaluable 
the people that are willing to give you honest and biased feedback. Those are the people who want to see you win. Trust me. And more importantly, become an ally. You have to you have to become the person that that you need. Become the ally. Empowered women empower women. Don't just find the seat at the table. Create one for the next girl or the next woman. Don't just shatter the glass ceiling. Send the rope down to get the next woman up. Give back through means of both support and mentorship. Because contrary to popular belief, trust me, there is more than enough room for everyone at the top. Just because you had it hard does not mean that we should make it easier for the next generation. There is a legacy that everyone I think should strive for as women. You're here today wondering how to thrive in a male-dominated industry because somewhere in the past, millions of women paved the path for you to even be in this environment to question, right? So continue paving the path forward. This is, the job is now yours. They have passed on the baton. You're next now. This is girlhood in action. Um, earlier this year, actually, I created this mentorship program at work because a couple of women asked me um, about my leadership style and they expressed some interest in learning from me. And honestly, it has been the most rewarding and gratifying journey. And I was so grateful to be given the opportunity to become the woman that I needed sometime for these women. There's nothing like it. All right, guys, I got a little bit preachy there at the end, um, but we made it to my favorite part of the episode. You guys know it's time to get some listener questions and dive into the rural mailbox. All right. Someone asked, this guy I am talking to keep asking me what I bring to the table. What is a good answer to that question? <laughs> Does he even have a table to bring anything to? Let's just start there. God, I hate this question so much because it's so disingenuous. Like this question started as a rebuttal from misogynistic men to put you in a position to be arguing for your worth. Like we all know that. And you just don't need to be doing that. Anyone worth knowing won't make you feel like you have to make a case and like proactively advocate for who you are as an individual. Basic maturity and emotional intelligence wouldn't let any half-decent person ask this question directly. Because isn't this the kind of thing that you find out by getting to know someone? Like, he would probably figure out what you bring into the table if he just got to know you. So why is he asking you like you're taking an interview for a job? And most men who ask this question are literally sitting crisscross applesauce on a dusty floor asking you what you bring into an imaginary table. Like, what table, sir? The non-existing one, it's, <laughs> it's just so ridiculous to me. And I feel like they fall in like the same category of the guys that are generally so worried about gold diggers with absolutely no gold to dig for. Like, do you not know that you're safe? You're so safe. You can sleep with both eyes closed that you're not the target audience at all. This is not about you. Um, I don't know. To be honest, I wouldn't dignify it with an answer. Like, I wouldn't even want to be in that position but if you really really wanted to um I guess I don't know tell him that you'll bring another man to the table how about that <laughs> bring another man to the table who doesn't ask you dumb questions <laughs> I think yeah do that I'm happy with that I think that's a good answer tell him I'm bringing another man to the table who's not asking me about my worth who already knows what I'm worth 
All right. Next questions, guys, from our listeners is, I feel like I don't fit in with my friends. They're always criticizing my character and making me feel inferior to them. And like, I'm not good enough for them. What do I do? Um, yo, this just broke my heart. First of all, I'm so sorry that people who are meant to be your friends are making you feel this way. It's just not right. Um, and it makes me sad for you. But I'm going to answer this question in a roundabout way. And you're just going to have to stay with me on this one. You're just going to have to trust me that we're going to get to an outcome together. Do you know the Stanley Cups? You must know. I feel like if you've been on the internet and like anywhere in the last two years, you must have seen them. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it quickly. Google a Stanley Cup because I guarantee you you've seen it before. It's like these cups that have a handle and like you can put them on a car holder and they keep your drink cold and they're very aesthetically pleasing and they're very cute. And literally everyone has one. Literally everyone has one or has a knockoff of one, but everyone has the similar um, bottle. So... The Stanley Cup actually was created by this company that is so old. I think they they have like a they've been here around for like 110 years or something like that. But when this cup came out, um, it was marketed to their key demographic. The company uh, is predominantly for like outdoorsy people, like people who like to hike and who like to um, I don't know camp and stuff. And the cup did not do well at all when it launched. People didn't really like it. The target audience didn't really like it. And it did so poorly that they actually decided that they weren't restocking it. It was going to get discontinued. Um, and right before they did that, they realized, or they I don't think they realized, they just had an idea that maybe it wasn't the product that was an issue. Because it's a great product. They just didn't know why it wasn't landing. And so... I think what they come to realize is that nothing was wrong with the cup itself, that maybe it was the wrong market and the wrong audience and the wrong environment where they launched it. And so with that assumption, what they did is they changed their strategy and they entered the hot girls market, right? And so the cup was now for hydrated girlies who are on the go, who are busy, who are carrying all this stuff in their hands and who need to be able to hold their drink bottle and like put, pop it in the car and take it with them everywhere. And then they created the cup in so many colors, like your pinks and purples and greens and pastel colors, like all the cute colors that you can then match to your nails and outfits and car and whatever else you wanted. And suddenly this exact same cup with hardly anything changed in the initial design went from almost being discontinued to being one of the hottest items on the market up to up to this day it's on everyone's wish list if you you cannot open social media without seeing a stanley cup and it's spread so far and so quickly again nothing had fundamentally changed it was just the fact that it was in a market that one, didn't see its value, and two, didn't celebrate it for what it was. And see, you are in the wrong environment. You are around outdoorsy people, and you need to find your hot girls tribe. Because being in the wrong environment will make you feel like you are not good enough, and you don't have value, and you're not seen as worthy. But you are. See, when flowers don't bloom, we don't change the flower, we change the environment. I honestly don't think there is anything wrong with you. I think right now you're in the wrong market. 
And you don't need to change anything. You just need to go find a market where you can flourish, where you can be the Stanley Cup <laughs> of human beings. You need to go find the people that accept you for who you are, like you for who you are, and are able to see the potential in you and see how good of a person you are and all your amazing qualities. You don't need to be around people that make you feel small and make you feel like you're not good enough. This is not what friendship is about. Friends are supposed to uplift you. Friends is that second family that is supposed to relate to you. Friends are supposed to be relatable and go through life with you together. That's the whole point. And so if you're in an environment where you have to argue for your worth around your friends, no, you're in the wrong environment. And so I don't think you should do anything to prove anything further to these people. I think what you need to do is distance yourself from anyone that doesn't make you feel good um, and go find your hot girl market. Go find your hot girl tribe. The same girls that are happily buying one of the most expensive water bottles in all its colors because they love it so much. There's someone out there that wants you for exactly who you are and who's going to be your friend for exactly who you are. I hope it gets better. I'm sending you a lot of love. If you want to talk more, um, this, this question really broke my heart. So if you want to talk more, slide into my DMs. But we are getting to the end of this episode. It was a short one, but I think a productive one. If you like this episode, please, I don't beg often, but I'll beg. <laughs> please leave a review on Spotify. Make sure that you follow me on social so you can stay updated and so you can support the king. Instagram is at fyc.habby, F for fix, Y for your, and C for crown.habby. This is King Habby signing off. This has been your royal reminder that your crown might tilt, but I will never, ever let it fall. You've been listening to Fix Your Crown with me, King Habby. Until next time, long live the king.